welcome to pre-snap read formerly bet less make more i'm your host michael james here today talking about another team on our nfl power rankings board another team like the giants and 49ers here previously who's got a lot of good to talk about but there's still some bad still a reason why they're digging their way through the trenches of the league today's squad up is the jacksonville jaguars First four teams out the gate with the Jets, Bears, Rams, even the Lions. These teams had a lot going against them. From that point forward, we've hit this weird spot where you could see almost any one of these teams, between the Giants all the way up to our number 20 team, outperforming our expectations. And the Jaguars are no different. They have a pretty favorable schedule. Overall, it's ranked middle of the pack, number 16 in the league, but there's a lot of reason to like this schedule. Even though it earns a 16th ranking, that's more about the fact that they're going to see some really easy opponents, passing offenses. The collection of passing offenses they're going to see this year ranked 30 in the league. That's third easiest. To the flip side of that, pass rushers, they're going to see top six number six overall pass rushing opponents in the league. So they're going to see some bottom feeders. They're going to see some top, some league groups. Their schedule flat out is identical to that very notion. You look through and you're going to find them facing some bottom feeding teams. Teams you know Jacksonville can at least contend with, if not get over. The Rams, the Jets, teams that we've already discussed, they're in the bottom of the league on that list as is San Francisco, who we just had at number 27, and Cleveland, who's yet to upcome, but believe me, they're not too far ahead. Each of these squads is one that Jacksonville can get a win over and get a win with maybe a little bit of ease. They, inside their own division, the AFC South, have three opponents who they'll see twice a year, Indianapolis, Tennessee, and Houston, each of which have enough issues on their team that Jacksonville could get a win over them as well. So there are plenty of games to be won on this season. To the flip side, Jacksonville will also see Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Arizona, and Seattle. Four of the toughest teams in the league this season. It's a flop. Which way do you go? Is it more about the difficulty of schedule that they have, the tougher opponents and what they're going to have to deal with there, or the easier opponents that they're going to see? Can they add up some quick wins? Games like Baltimore, Jets, Rams, Indy, Houston, San Fran, Cleveland. These can add up to some W's and get the team six, maybe even seven wins, inching ever closer to 500 club. We have met 6 and 10 on our board, a four-win range. That's four games plus or minus. So they are the first team on our board who absolutely mathematically cannot, will not. And, of course, there is no guarantee. Injuries can always occur and defeat this in a big way. But to this moment, mathematically, cannot, will not go winless. We have 6-10 to ten on the board. At least two ends up falling into the pocket. They better, or more likely, will go somewhere around 8-8, eight and eight, around 500 club. 
a bit of an improvement over what this team has done in years past. Because, let's face it, they have had troubles even getting to 500 club. They, like Cleveland, like San Francisco over the last few years, like Oakland for so many years, what, about 12, 15 years? The best thing they could hope for was 8-8. Eight and eight. Jacksonville's been one of those squads now for a long, long time. And even in the rare glimpses where they look like a solid squad up and coming, it might last for about a season. A surprise 11-win season, and then it's back into the dungeon again. This season can be a stepping stone towards fixing that problem permanently. We talked about it last year. Have them ranked into the mid to high teens, just missing the playoffs, and talked about the improvements they made. And they made improvements. That defense was a little bit better from what was there before. But it wasn't quite there. So they went out and they focused on that. They made some additions, some quality additions. One in particular, Calais Campbell of Arizona, stands out far and above the rest. A guy who, when you pair him with Malik Jackson, who the Jaguars acquired from Denver last year's free agency market, proved to be worth that pretty penny they paid him. These two can form a very tough, if not almost unbeatable tandem that can play inside or outside on that front defensive line. You throw into the mix the fact that the team picked up a decent strong safety in Barry Church, a veteran, a decent corner, A.J. Bouye, to play opposite Jalen Ramsey. Probably the best tackle they've had on roster in a decade in Brandon Albert, who they got in a trade due to spent the majority of his career in Kansas City and recently with Miami. There's a lot of things to like here. Calais Campbell, the veteran leader of that pack. Cam Robinson, probably the rookie leader of that pack. And I know saying that, what a lot of you are thinking right now, hey, wait a minute, what about Leonard Fournette? Well, Cam Robinson, big dude at 6'6", 320, can play tackle or guard, right or left side, adds a lot of value to a team that needed help on its O-line, that needs help everywhere. Their O-line last year was 15th, giving up 2.1 sacks per game. They were 20th in passing, 22nd in rushing, 25th in points. They needed help everywhere on that offense. They needed to shore up their protection. They did it by getting Cam Robinson. And though I don't know that this year they're going to see too much of an improvement with him and Brandon Albert now in that mix, if they add in a couple more key pieces and replace guys like Bolanco, like Linder, over the next year, they could end up having one of the deepest, strongest O-lines in the league. A couple more smart moves. Really solidifies that group. So is the right move now, the right player at the right time, go out and get him and rebuild that O-line. Add him with Brandon Albert. No matter where these two play, you've got a solid tandem on that O-line that you can build around. The detriment is moves, or rather are moves, like Leonard Fournette. For all the hype that he's gotten, before the draft, during the draft, and since after the draft. For the way he's been talked about being the major factor of this offense, for the usage this team's going to get out of it. There is a big chance, a big reality, that this guy is less like a LT or Ezekiel Elliott and burns out quick in a cluster of failure, more like Trent Richardson. If we're a betting man and, well, let's face it, 
We are formally bet less, make more. Betting is kind of what we do. The heavy wager, the heavy favorite has to be Leonard Fournade busting out. He could go the way of Cadillac Williams. Guy out of Auburn, drafted high for Tampa Bay, had a huge rookie season. And before he's even reached 30, he's already out of the league. They burned out the rubber on those tires quick. Fournay has had a little bit of injury concerns, was not 100% going through the scouting combine process, showed a very slow time, came in a little oversized as well. News reports say that he's been losing weight and then he's speeding up, and that's great, but we want to see it transition on the field. Was he one of these guys, and it's come from LSU before, in fact, quite a few, Jamarcus Russell, the tippy top of that list, but it's come from LSU before, guys who were supreme performers in college getting overdrafted and then busting out in the league, not getting anywhere close to the level of performance teams were expecting to get out of them. Could be wrong. Fournette could overshadow could go and and blow things up and turn this team around. If he does, the balance he brings to this offense, jettisoning them from 22nd in the league, putting up just barely over 100 rushing yards per game at 101.9, to at least somewhere in the 115, 120-plus range, the balance to that offense will help that passing attack as well because Bortles isn't going to have to do nearly as much with his limited squad around him, as what he's had to in years past. It's a decent receiving squad. Alan Hearns, Alan Robinson, Marquise Lee, adding in D.D. Westbrook and Amba Adetowo. But it's not an elite squad by any means. And whereas they have had a real trouble fighting quality at tight end, tried out Julius Thomas, that didn't really work. Injuries played a major factor there. Now they're going with Michael Rivera, a guy drafted in the third round from Tennessee by the Oakland Raiders. Spent his first few years there. Now he's with Jacksonville. He's not a guy you're looking to get six, seven, eight hundred yards and maybe five to ten touchdowns from on a season. He's a complimentary role player as a tight end, a receiver, not a blocker, which is where guys like Mercedes Lewis and Ben Koyak still come into play on this team. He might be worth it. Two, three, maybe 400 yards at most, and a touchdown or two. If he's lucky, they bring in Didi Westbrook, who's got a bit of off-season, uh, not off-season, excuse me, off-field issues. Again, we don't really go into that here. But there's a bit of a cloud in his drafting. Not quite as big as the one of uh, Mixon in Seattle, but a cloud nonetheless. He'll be competing with Marquise Lee. Those two sharing time on that inside spot, working that slot route, Hearns and Robinson on the outside. Hearns has substantially outperformed what was expected of him. Robinson done pretty well, but even these two guys had down years last year, setting around 800 yards receiving. Westbrook and Lee, two guys who are speedsters on the inside, could each be worth around six to 800 yards. In the end, you're talking about an offense that could have trouble putting up about 4,000 yards passing. If Leonard Fournay does the damage people are predicting him to do, then that helps balance out what defenses have to look at. They can't just drop back and expect Bortles to throw it 
not needing to be aware of that run game because there's a rushing threat there. But if he busts out the way we're expecting, on paper, this trio with Chris Ivory and TJ Yeldon looks like a hell of a group. Looks like it could be one of the best running cores in the league. But remember, these two guys and Yeldon and Ivory each floundered for around three to 400 rushing yards last season. It's why this team was so poor running the ball. There wasn't any consistency. Injuries continue to plague these two guys. And now another guy who has injury concerns, who ran a shit ton in college, who may burn out his tread quickly, was just taken with a top five draft pick. And historically, we know that the Jaguars have really had trouble making use of their top five draft picks. They've burned through defensive ends that were overdrafted time and time again, trying to find pass rushers. And I don't know that Dante Fowler is any different. A guy who missed his entire rookie season coming out of Florida, did not produce all that much last year, is moderate at best, and has lost that starting job for the most part to uh, Ngukwe, Yannick Ngukwe, a mid-draft pick from last season. We know the history of the Jaguars. We know the history of Fournay. Everything seems to point towards this going belly up and in a bad way. And again, it may not be this season. Maybe he outperforms expectations. Maybe he clips a grand on the year. But even if Fournay does roll out 1,000 yards on the year, if he's the prominent rusher and he's out there for almost 100% of carries and they burn through him quick, that does nothing to help out the future. And it only happened because Ivory and Yeldon aren't seeing any field time, which means this team is still going to be in the bottom 10, bottom 12 in rushing in the league. And even if Fournay is a bit of a threat, it's not enough that defenses are going to be lining up eight in the box, opening up passing lanes. That is the more likely scenario. That this guy could go eight, nine, hundred, maybe a thousand yards rushing on the season. And everybody's going to look at him and say, oh, he's having a really good year. He did exactly what we expected, but then next year, six, seven hundred yards, half the season missed because of injury. Year after that, maybe blows out an ACL, IR for the season, and before you know it, he's disappeared into obscurity. And the Jaguars haven't gotten any better because of it. Grabbing this running back, maybe any running back, regardless as high as they did, is a bad move. In a pass-first, pass-second league, where year after year, guys like Drew Brees, who are pushing 40, are putting up five grand through the air. And you have anywhere from eight to ten guys throwing in the 4,000-yard range. Numbers that a decade ago, used to be the pinnacle. Your top quarterbacks, your Brady's and Manning's, were throwing for four grand. If they hit four, 4,200, that was an MVP season. Now, you're just middle of the pack. Jaguars don't have a thrower, don't have a passer in Bortles with the elements he has around him 
the lack of talent at tight end, and the mediocre to good, or at least average to good, talent at wide receiver to put up five grand on a season. If the running backs falter like they did last year, if the trio find themselves injured and out in a way that Tampa has often found themselves going down to their sixth and seventh running back a couple times in the last few years, then all this was for nothing. They're going to have trouble putting up points, and about 16 per game is all you can really expect. A couple touchdowns, maybe a field goal. They'll have to go late into games, airing out that ball, getting picked again because it's too much being asked of a guy with too little talent around him that has any true stability, credibility, longevity, big words. I know, but they're valid here. Now again, like San Francisco, I saw it by saying, Hey, there's good news, there's bad news. Seems like I'm harping all the bad news. We started on the plus side, talking about Calais Campbell, talking about Malik Jackson, what this defense can do. And the fact is, it has improved. Fifth in passing defense last year, giving up 215 yards per game, and they added A.J. Bouye to that, so now they have a solid tandem at corner, and with Church in that backfield needs next to Deshaun Gibson, hopefully he can stay healthy for the season. They may have one of the better starting four defensive back groups. They were 23rd in sacks last year with Campbell brought in with some depth guys in Dwayne Smoot, Hunter Dimmick. Hopefully a healthy Dante Fowler and Yannick Ngakwe, plus your linebacking core, Telvin Smith, a healthy Miles Jack, and Paul Puzlesny. The pressure this front seven can put on teams can and likely will be absurd. Ranked second on our board. Second strongest pass rushing group in the league. There is a lot of talent here. But it's a boomer bust. Just like that offense, this defense, we expect them to perform up to expectations. Fowler goes down, there's an injury there. Smoot and Dimmick, a Mid-picked rookie, Dwayne Smoot with injury history out of Illinois. Hunter Dimmick, an undrafted rookie free agent. If these guys don't add too much into the mix, what you're left with is Calais Campbell, Malik Jackson, and Yannick Ndukwe, who, if each go for 8 to 10 sacks on the season, you're looking at around the same 23, 24, maybe upwards at most of 30 that they had this last year. 33 total sacks, 2.1 per game, ranked 23rd in the league is what they had for 2016. Sitting somewhere between 25 to 30 again. If things don't go their way, if injuries get in the way, is where they could end up again. Money says that with Campbell and Jackson, two guys play inside or outside and what they bring to the table. With the depth with Smoot and Dimmick, Fowler and Ngakwe, that if one guy goes down, they have next man up and they can continue to create pressure. Smith can do almost everything you ask of him at linebacker, an undersized guy at 218, really shaped more like a strong safety 
But he's a hell of a tackler, and he can put up 100-plus on the season, a bunch for loss, a few sacks, get some picks, bat some passes down. He can drop in coverage, or he can create pressure, and he can close in on the run. With the talent this team has in its front seven and the starting group in its defensive backfield, they can do some damage. 25th in points allowed last year, expect to drop and match probably what they put up. We have been 16 and 16, point four point against. If they go somewhere around 20 scored, they're probably going to allow 20. Not saying that the two are exclusively related, but that is where the scenario is. It's a very half-full, half-empty kind of glass, just as we talked about with San Francisco. A lot of good things here to like, but still some question marks, still some problems. Knowing that there's still parts of that O-line that need to be repaired, knowing that that wide receiver depth can still be solid, knowing that they have a trio of running backs, none of which you can count on 100% to stay healthy, to be active, to be dominant, knowing that they have a quarterback who's not the next Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or Drew Brees, that he's a moderate starter at best, knowing that your pass rush is stocked and loaded, but again, features guys who have a bit of injury history and your defensive backfield as good as it is, starting four is lacking depth behind those guys. There's problems still everywhere on this team. There's positives immediately followed by a fucking negative. And that is why, despite a schedule that for a top 10 team in the league might equate to a 12-win season for Jacksonville, it's really nothing more than about 6-10, and 10, maybe at best somewhere around 8-8. Eight and eight. They could shock and pick up all four wins on that plus or minus four win range that we're talking about. Going to double digits, even then, at 10 wins on the season, in their division, and in that conference, they may still miss the playoffs. And in the end, what they will have achieved is about the ranking we had them putting up last year. Expect that to be an extreme. Expect that to only happen if they get some unusual wins against top talent like Seattle, Arizona, Pittsburgh, or Cincinnati. They pick up a big win or two against the top-level competition they'll see during the season. Otherwise, it's sitting right around 500 club, 6-10, and 8-8 eight eight at best. And Jags fans are going to be spending another year watching the playoffs on the TV rather than bothering to see their team in life. All right. That's enough for today. For all the information we have on the Jacksonville Jaguars, breaking down projections, their big moves through the offseason, draft grades, Pro Bowl projections, schedule, their offensive and defensive formations of prominence through the season, all this and more, what we put up for every single team, go to the website, thepresnapread.com, find it there, everything you're looking for, ready and waiting for you. We have fantasy rankings as well, quarterback, running back, wide receiver up on the board, tight end is up next. O-line in a couple days, and then we move on to defense. A lot more we got yet to put up. College will be starting in the next couple weeks as well, going through our rankings and our fantasy there. So stay tuned.
a couple months out before the kickoff of the regular season, and there is a lot yet we have to do here. I'm Michael James. This is the Pre-Snap Read. As always, I thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.